What's up, guys? Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week, we'll cover the topics most important to you, from marketing and selling your products to winning on social media and everything in between. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host, John Malecki, runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. Over the past few years, we've seen the value of bouncing ideas back and forth. We want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 13. Today, we're going to be finishing up our three-part pricing series. We're going to be hitting on some of the most asked pricing questions we've gotten since we began the podcast. And also, we're going to give you some more details on the major points that we hit last week. This is going to be a great recap and uh, capstone onto this pricing series. And I hope you guys enjoy it. What is up, John? Oh, not much. Just over here choking on my words, brother, because I am so excited. Um to answer some questions finally, this is a little different than we typically do, so I'm, so I'm pumped to get into it, man. Yeah, I think it's going to be cool because we did have uh, several questions come in, and as we as we looked at the show topics as well, I think we covered a lot of the a lot of that information in the wrap up uh, from last week too. So this will be a great carryover, and we can also talk about some of those things that I think when we listen to it, we're like, yeah, maybe we need to clarify a little bit of that, make sure everybody's on the same page. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, before we get started, I want to thank our new patron members over there that joined the MFP tribe, uh, Matt Aiken and Iron Mountain Woodcraft. They went over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit uh, and joined over there. They're going to get the after show as well as some of the Instagram reviews. We'll be talking more about that at the end of the show. So uh, if you'd like to be part of that, you can go check it out. John, what you been working on this week? Got a uh, big week, second week in the shop. I know I say that quite often, but for me, I absolutely love every day I get to spend doing this. So once again, another big week, um, wrapping up a full scope of work for a client, which is always a lot of fun because those are typically your uh, your larger numeric projects, you could say. Um, so got a lot of uh, a lot of reclaimed wood coming out of a building we used to do uh, trim work, moldings, did a bunch of uh, floating shelves, I think like 18 floating shelves. Nice. Um, all, all resawn and yeah, floating boxes that were built, um, a butcher block top and a bunch of, uh, window treatments. So getting all of those wrapped up, uh, so that's been a pretty cool project and, and something to really test the, the new guy in the shop, Andrew. So, uh, that's been fun. And then on top of that, I have three carts that I've been working on myself for one of my sponsors and a, another video edit. So a whirlwind of a week here, but just a light week in the shop. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you got going on? <laughs> uh, in in comparison, nothing. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've been finishing up the uh, the live edge shelves I was doing. I got those done, and I've gotten into edit on those. And so uh, we was waiting on the hardware. Finally got that, and that was kind of interesting installing that hardware. So I'll be covering all that on the video. And then I've also been doing a little super top secret project for my daughter involving purple spray paint so i know i've i've texted you so you've seen a bit of it but uh <laughs> you're like what is that <laughs> yeah i was yeah uh, after, after you dropped purple petunias early on in the podcast we just all it know changed that. it's me. not for your daughter it's, it's it for changed you. me it is, I, i'm a changed man 
So I heard the purple <laughs> theme in the shop is brand new. So that's actually, guys, I'm, I'm spoiling it. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one, there's not going to be a video or anything for this. This is actually just uh, an Instagram engagement. So uh, I will be sharing some of that here over the next few weeks. Actually, I don't know exactly when that will be. Um, I have to wait on the sponsor for that. So anyway, speaking of pricing, John, <laughs> let's go in and clarify a little bit about what we talked about last week. So markup and margin. I believe last week I talked about markup and I may have said margin and, and just mix those words. So just to be crystal clear of what these are, uh, the markup is the percentage difference between the actual cost and the selling price. So if you have $100 in cost and you sell it for $200, then that's going to be a 100% markup. So um, 100 extra dollars on top of the cost that you had. On the flip side, gross margin percent, using that same example, this is a percentage of the profit compared to the selling price. So if you have that $100 in cost and you sell it for $200, then your profit is also $100 there, but the margin is 50% because it's 100 over the $200 selling price. So we just want to make sure that uh, you understood those. And obviously using these two examples here uh, with the same numbers makes it a little more confusing, but um, hopefully that makes sense to you guys. Yeah. And, and, and what this does, I mean, essentially a lot of people are going to be throwing these markup and margin jargon at you. Just have an understanding that markup will always be a higher percentage and margin will always be less than a hundred. It, it should, I don't think margin can mathematically be above a hundred percent. Can it? <laughs> no, no, that would be, that would be nice. That would yeah, be nice. So, so, but so because of that, um, what I do is I use margin as a projection of what I want to make from the product and then work the math backwards. And in, in, I guess the stance of how to use markup for my sake, um, it doesn't really bode well to my pricing strategy because of that. Cause essentially you could just go, Oh, you know, I sold I'm $500 into this. I'm going to sell it for a thousand. Well, you actually don't know, you know, a lot of the other factors that go into it, depending on what you include in your cost. Do you include your, you know, do you include your labor rate into your cost of goods sold? Or do you just, are you just including right. fixed costs? Are you including your, you know, Oh, a couple, a couple things we'll be touched on later, but your labor burden, are you including your taxes? Are you including, so there's a few reasons that I don't like to use markup for my uh, pricing strategy. And that's why I was talking about that 40% margin last week. Um, so, so I guess getting a little deeper into that, the, um, the questions we were getting and the feedback we were getting after we dropped the episode and on social and, and, and in a few other mediums in which we get questions were, you know, do you include your, um, do you include your, you know, fees? Do you include your your labor burden for your for your employees if you're using those? You know, how do you actually get to that forty percent? And um, I just want to be clear with the type of information that I am trying to portray to you guys here is based on my experience. You know, I am giving a lot of generalities because I am trying to uh, show an understanding for the thought process behind markup and margin and not just saying, Hey guys, sell stuff and mark your prices up for no reason. Um, so, you know, when you get into looking at why margin actually matters, it's because of the costs that are incurred by the business itself and not by the costs of you as the creator or you as the laborer. So there's much, much more that goes into it, but from a general sense, and we talked about last week, you want to shoot for your target margin. Mine, for instance, is 40%. Now, 
The specific question that we got was asking about your labor costs and if that is included in your projected margin. Um, and, and here, Brad and I actually had to jump into it for a good 20 minutes to get the exact, you know, message we wanted to get across. But, um, you know, operating margin and product margin, net margin, there's a ton of different. Right. <laughs> different there's a lot of steps along the way. <laughs> different aspects of um, your <laughs> of your pricing model that will factor into it when you get really, really deep down into it. And that's why there's pros. You know, that's why there's accountants. That's why there's entire departments at large companies designated to looking and running numbers to get all of this stuff together. So don't what well, I first suggestion would say, don't get too caught up in all of the tiny little details, because if you can generalize and get yourself on the right track, that's a better step than not doing something to get to a, a margin solely based on do you actually know every penny that's coming into your pricing strategy? Um, and, and, you know, because of that, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't really, really stress upon, you know, labor burden and those type of things unless you're running a multi-person company um, and you have, you know, a lot of employees at different labor rates um, because I don't have that. I can't give you any any information based on my experience. And, and Brad, you might have some more experience with that type of strategy. But yeah. I would say just shoot for a general number and then whatever your uh, – whatever your labor cost is for your item, whether you want to include, you know, burden and, and essentially what the burden is guys and girls is, is all the fees and extra stuff that goes into having an employee. Um, you have insurances, you have state taxes, you have, uh, uh what else goes into it? Administrative federal, fees yeah. And, so you've, and, you've got and, federal and social security, you have yes. to pay all of the federal taxes too. So like just from a corporate perspective, uh, you know, it's as so we, it is, it's super complicated. So from a corporate perspective, uh, we would definitely look at things burden. So it's basically the total all in cost of an employee. Uh, and a lot of times we would talk about those in hourly rates because I worked in retail. So most of the employees at the stores were hourly. And so you would say, you know, maybe if they were making 15 bucks an hour, the burden rate would be maybe $18 an hour. So it's basically mm -hmm. just adding in all those things, but uh, pulling it down to an hourly rate are pulling it down into something where you can say, okay, here's the total cost. So, uh, you know, like John's saying, I think that the key here is like, if you're at that level, if you're, if you're trying to decide, hey, should I put burden uh, employee costs or labor rates or should I put unburdened? First of all, you're way ahead of the game, like to, to even be thinking about that. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that in the end, if you add that in, all it's going to do is raise your price. So mm -hmm. you're, it's going to put that in there. You're going to put a multiplier on it to try to get a higher margin for yourself. Um, and what you need to do is just go back to that price and quality matrix and say, like, does that make sense to raise my price? Because it's it's almost the exact same thing as not putting it in and then saying, well, I'm going to see if I can get some extra margin. So, it you know, that's going to be what the market will bear. And if you want to add it in there and you can sell that price, then go for it. But uh, don't get caught up in it. And, and it's interesting, John, the thing that you were talking about is as you start doing this as a business, um, you know, like I talked about before, I was doing when I was selling stuff on Etsy, it was all 
market-based. I would put it out there. You know, I wasn't looking at my cost. I wasn't looking at the roll-up. I was just doing it. I saw people were selling the cutting boards at a certain price. I went in. I tried to, I sold them at 50 bucks. They sold at 50 bucks. I said, okay, let's see if they sell at 75. Do that. And then on the back end, I calculated to see how much money I was making. And this kind of jumps into the question that we're going to be answering for our patrons later is like, okay, as a hobbyist, because I wasn't looking at it as a business. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what you, but regardless, I went back after the fact. So I didn't build it up, but I went back after the fact and I went, okay, uh, how much did I sell this for? What were all the shipping fees I sold, you know, paid for, blah, 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 blah. Um, I didn't roll in everything I should have. And I definitely did not do the hourly rate uh, because I didn't want to cry that night because <laughs> <laughs> it had been, you know, 350 an hour or whatever, uh, which again is, is an interesting part of that hobbyist question. Um, but yeah, so once you're doing it, go back and just make sure you're keeping track of everything and that you have all your expenses so you can make sure you know how much you're making at the end of the day. Uh, and what John is telling you is what has worked for him, you know, being four years in the business, which I great, I think is great insight. Yeah. And, and our um, entire message here is to get you thinking in that manner that Brad just touched on. You know, when we all got started selling, none of us were looking at where our expenses were coming from at in the shop. We could just say, you know, time materials is a very easy way to set price. But once you really want to get into it and if you want to be doing this full time, you know, having your mind understanding the markup and margin of whatever your product or service is, is something that you know has to be factored into how you're operating. And, and that's what we're going for here is we want you guys thinking that way. Um, do we have all of the answers for you? No. But do we have what's worked for us? You know, obviously. So 40% has been a great target for me to reach and get to um, from a product-based margin. Now, that's another thing there is, is, is we were getting some questions based on is that my net margin for the business um, and or is that my uh, operating margin or whatever that might be. So the 40% is what I target my profit per product at when I'm looking at the margin. Um, so hopefully that clarifies for anyone wondering uh, what that 40% actually stands for. Now, when it comes to all of the other operating expenses and everything that goes into it, obviously my business isn't going to be running at 40%. Um, that would be amazing, but it's a great target. It would be, <laughs> that'd be great, nice, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a great target. So um, essentially, you know, what we were getting to with the whole conversation between markup and margin is just getting the wheels turning for you guys and, and, and getting you to understand that that is a factor in pricing that you should 100% be considering each time you're pricing a good. Um, one thing I wanted to go back and touch on that we kind of didn't really go near last time, Brad, was was uh, was markup on design or, or markup on reselling or wholesaling. Um, and you, you slightly grazed over it when we just revisited it here. But um, one thing that you, it can be considered um, – for, for people is, is your markup on your labor rate or your markup on your consulting rate, whatever you want to call it, um, when it comes to doing design service or a resale service. So from my understanding, and if any of you have more experience in this, please let me know. Um, but from the interior design industry and world, a lot of the, a lot of the money made there is based on relationships that those designers or people like ourselves have with retailers and the retailers afford opportunities to build margin into product resale. So in a long about, in a long way here, what I'm getting at is 
if you're doing a consultation for a client and you're selling them a couch that you purchased from X, you know, box store, you mark that up and you put that out there for your client from the get go, you know, oh, I collect a 10% markup on uh, all of my products right. that I source for you. You know, that's another way that designers are making money using the concept yeah. of markup too. Um, and, and, you know, once you guys get into this a little more, if you do any of that, you can create trade relationships with these, uh, these wholesalers. And, um, and then you can really build some, you know, decent little extra cash in your pocket by, helping out, um, your clients. If you know, you're making them a dining table and they want some chairs, you can refer them to your trade trade account and, and build in a couple extra percentages there to make some yeah. money. That's a great example, John, because, uh, and I didn't think about that. I have some friends that actually run a design firm. They'll go in and, and do remodeling and, and things of that nature. And so they do get, you know, a lot of product at cost and so yeah. they will pass that along. The nice thing is, is if you do get into something like that, you can pass that along to your customers. Uh, if you're getting at cost and then you take a 10% markup, you're going to make 10% on, you know, if you if it costs you a thousand bucks, you make a hundred bucks. But that chair might retail for eighteen hundred because yes. they have to have all of their overhead like John does. You know, so their their markup would be 80 percent. Right. If they yeah. sold it for eighteen hundred. Uh, so that's a great way to do that. If you can get into that market of, of um, services and, you know, the same thing as like a general contractor would do. Right. If yeah. they have a trade, if they have a sub come in to do electrical, they're going to pay that sub. But then they're going to. So basically that markup, um, what that does is that's payment for their time and effort and relationships and all of those things that go into it. Right. So that, that's a great example of markup and where that comes into play. Yeah. And another awesome example in the same context is um, is dealing with subcontractors and a lot of us in our space. And I know most of us, we could probably say are furniture makers and woodworkers, you know, and crafts, craft, craft makers and hobbyists. But there's hopefully some contractors and some construction guys and girls out there. And um, as we all know, the subcontractor um, concept really feeds into that. So for me, you know, if I'm looking to do a job for a client, um, I'll bid the client on a price based around me knowing I can make a markup on a subcontractor for parts of it that I don't actually produce. So for instance, a lot of, a lot of you guys out there are doing slab work, but you're either purchasing or reselling hairpin legs that you're putting on those slabs for per se. You're, you know, you should be thinking of marking up those products that you're buying and reselling to the client um, because, you know, that's how you make money in business. Uh, same thing goes if you are having custom dining table legs made from your local uh, welder or metal worker, you can bid that right into the price and mark it up whatever you feel comfortable with and afford it right to the client have them pay you and you pay the sub and then you're making money as just the liaison for having that relationship. So I actually build right. percentages into my subcontractor fees for clients as well, because you're not always going to be able to do a hundred percent of everything. And we, and, and as much as we want to, you know, sometimes it's just not worth your time. You can get a better price from someone that's more experienced who can do it faster and give that to your client. And as you and I constantly preach relationships, you know, wouldn't you rather give them a better product than you trying to throw something together because, um, you thought you could, 
save them a couple bucks or you can make more money on it. So think about that when you're when you're hiring subcontractors or when you're subbing out parts of your furniture or your custom work, too, because that's another way to use markup to your advantage um, when you're dealing with, you know, a scope of work over an individual piece or you're dealing with multiple items and, and things going into uh, in your client, you know, your client's bill of whatever they're right. looking for. And and that should be, I mean, in all keep it in, in all fairness. Well, then <laughs> that's what I was going to hit on is in, in all fairness, though, what you should really be doing if you're doing it, if you're doing it right, it's a value sell to the customer, because like I was just mentioning, you should your price to them should hopefully if, if you're in the position to do it is going to be less than what they could get it for singular at retail because yes. you're buying at cost you're buying because you're buying in bulk because you're not just selling to this one customer you're selling to multiple customers and so it really works well when you do um, a lot of work in the same industry or with the same providers the same subs whatever that looks like uh, because if they went to that same subcontractor or hairpin leg uh, provider, then their price would be whatever, 50 yes. bucks. But, you know, you can get it at cost for 25 uh, and you're going to flip it to them at 40, you know, whatever it is so that you can you can uh, parlay that to them to say, hey, this is, you know, let them know like, hey, if you go look at the prices, yeah, it's 50 bucks. But guess what? I, I can get it to you for 40. And then at that same point, it doesn't, you know, to them, they don't care that you're making a markup. They're like, yeah, sweet, man. I get it 20 uh, percent off. You know, this is perfect. Um, yes. And then that, you know, that's a perfect example of the the win-win, right? So you can get that, provide a service, and they save some money, and you make some money, and it's it's a great way to do it. Yep. And I'm almost <laughs> all large retailers um, in the design industry, if you can think of something in the design industry, they typically have trade discounts. So that's what you guys want to look out for and apply for. You do have to have... Um, you do have to have an LLC or your tax CIN number as well as a couple other, um, I, guess, I, don't, I can't remember what they're called, state selling licenses. Excuse yeah. me, that's what yeah, we're looking for. Yeah, you have for. to have a state. Um, yep. So, you know, you apply for those and you do the process and that takes time and all of that. So you build these relationships and you have to renew them every year and, you know, you go over them. You can even, a lot of them, you have to call and talk to somebody, which is insane these days. <laughs> but you, can do most, you can do most of them online and, and it's uh, it's a nice addition for your clients, even for a lot of us doing furniture, you know, just being able to say, Hey, I have a relationship with X company. Um, if you're looking for chairs and you like something on their website, let me know. I can 100% help you out with the price. I know I get a better price than what they're selling for online. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So rolling back to the design and, and, and getting paid on for that design time and the, and the markup on that. Um, what I've seen a lot of, John, and, and I want to get your feedback on it because um, I've seen it more from the consumer perspective, but that a lot of time the designs are either a flat fee, right? So it's going to be a $500 fee for whatever it is, you know, and I'm thinking a little bit bigger, right? So if somebody was like designing um, a remodel for a bathroom and they're going to draw something up, it'd be a flat fee uh, or an hourly rate. So you know, where they have factored in there a markup, like those would all be included. Um, is that something similar? Like, do you do it hourly based upon your $50 an hour labor rate? Or do you do some other uh, mix there or discount? Or like if they purchase, do you refund, you know, apply some of that? Because I know I've seen that as well. Like in design, they'll say, yeah, it's money. But if you end up doing it, then I'll give you half of that or all of it towards the purchase of the product. 
what does that look like for you or what have you seen other people do as well? So, um, for, for me, I base my design fees on the scope of the work. So for instance, um, if I'm doing a custom design from the ground up for a dining table, I know because of my, my pricing model is pretty, pretty much locked, locked into a certain range now with materials and what I know from the industry. Um, I know where my number is going to be at the end. So I will actually have the client sign a custom design contract in which I have a price stated up front and they get three renditions of the drawing that I come up with from the beginning. And from there, I discount the final price of the product, the amount that went into the design fee. So if they want to go over in that design contract, it states for each RAM is for each rendering after changes after the third change costs X. So what that does gotcha. is it puts it on the client. They're not paying any extra for it, but they understand that it goes into the process. And it took me a while to realize, you know, how much time I actually put into design work. And once you get faster at using 3D modeling and in your sales, trans, excuse me, your customer relationship um, transactions, you know, you know how fast that's going to be and you can get a pretty decent price there. So say, for instance, you are selling a, you know, custom dining table for two G's. Um, you have a design contract up front for a hundred bucks. That is uh, something that that client is going to sign and send back to you. You now have it on record. You get them their custom design. You know, that might take you three weeks because of the email chain, you know, gets lost. Well, your client, you know, has an unfortunate situation where they no longer can afford the table. In my, um, how I work is I give the client all the drawings. They're theirs now. They already paid the hundred bucks for the design. And because of that, you know, they can go to another builder or maker and they have all the measurements and all the 3D models or whatever they want. Uh, that I sent over in the proposal for the drawing. If they want to revisit it in a year, they still have it. So that is an instance in which um, you become, you know, kind of fortunate uh, because you got paid for the design service up front. Right. If that client was to go through with it, I would just denote on the bill of sale or the, uh, excuse me, their invoice, the uh, the amount that is discounted because of that uh design contract. So, you know, that hundred bucks. Um, right. And, right. And that is a individual custom piece. Right. I and I think that's good. I mean, I like the idea of that because you're giving them value, but at the same time, and I've definitely heard people, um, you know, getting burned by that. Like I hear that a lot, you know, oh, I did, yeah. I put all this work in and then they went off and had somebody else make it. Right. So it's like, you know, I gave them the keys to the kingdom and quoted it out and then they just took all my stuff. And, and especially, um, I see that happen a lot, um, you know, in the contracting because, uh, you know, they'll come out, they'll ask for like a, a bill of materials, like, okay, so what all is going to be included? And then they'll go and, you know, buy it themselves or they'll just yep. piece, try to basically try to be their own general contractor. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's great to get payment up front and, you know, but then at the, at the end, so if they do walk away, I really like the idea, you know, I didn't think about it that way as well, but if they walk for whatever reason, right. If they, like you said, if they all of a sudden now can't, can't afford the money, um, then they have something tangible that they've got. So it's not like you're saying, oh, well, all right, you're out the hundred bucks. You give them the drawings and they've got it. And if they want to come back at a later time, you can pick that back up. Right. And you've already got it on file and you could, again, you know, apply that to the rate. So 
I think that's a, a really cool thing to do. Um, yeah. You know, another thing that I want to hit on that's very closely tied to that, and and uh, we didn't we didn't talk about it, but it just uh, just hit my memory here is that um, I had some pushback over. Uh, we had talked early on. I think we talked in the the part one of the pricing about your portfolio. And I like what you were just talking about, about a custom design. And some people were, um, I guess they didn't like the idea of selling something they hadn't made. So getting a, getting a, a, um, buyer to sign up for, you know, basically for designing something and then saying, Hey, I'm going to sell this to you, but I've never made it. And, you know, my stance on that was like, well, that's like, you know, when they showed the the drawing of the Empire State Building, they were like, oh, yeah, I made one over in Texas. Uh, you know, we want to put this up here in New York, like, because this will be cool. Like, <laughs> that's a, a pretty standard thing. Um, and I, th- I think there was there was some terminology, right? Because we said I said probably portfolio. And so it was like, OK, well, here's the technical term of what a portfolio is um, versus saying, hey, here's what I can do. So I really like uh, and, and what I tried to draw it back to was that. The whole idea, like you're trying to solve a problem for a customer. Their problem is they need something custom for their bathroom. They need a table. They need whatever. Mm-hmm. And just because you've not built that before doesn't mean you can't solve their problem. Exactly. And if they like what you've made in the past, they like your design, they like your techniques, you can show them the things. Hey, here's some things I've made. But well, in your instance, oh, it looks like you need, you know, a, a double Y. It looks like you need this. It looks like you need that. And you can draw it up. Um, but in no shape, form or fashion, do I think that you only have to be limited to what you've done? I mean, you would never do anything, right? Like that's, that's kind of crazy, um, in my mind. And, you know, whether you want to call it a portfolio or a, you know, custom design piece, um, I think you have to go out there and try to earn new business with new designs that you've not made yet doing, you know, showing them through rendering and 3d modeling and and all that good stuff. Yeah. 95% of my business is custom designs from the ground up on things I've never made before. So if you've got a problem with that and you can draw, you could probably put those sticks together in the orientation in which you drew them. And that's what's kind of confusing there. It's it's because in order to construct it digitally, you have to know how to construct it physically or you would. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting thought and, and I can see why it would be thought of that way. But if, 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 uh, you're, trying to push your design aesthetic and your design ability and you want to go and make things that are above and beyond what you've done in the past. If you want to pay out of pocket to do that, good luck staying in business because <laughs> it's going to cost you so much time and R and D that is not afforded to small businesses like ours. You know, you're going to have, how many hours do you think you can put into the shop and building walnut coffee tables? If you're just experimenting with it and burning them after, like there's a, <laughs> you're going to draw the line somewhere and, and realize that, okay, at least if I mess this up for a client, they pay a deposit and half of the material cost was paid for by them. I have to recoup that on my own, but I know what mistake I made instead of just making the mistake yourself and being out twice as much. Like look at it from that standpoint on how are you going to pay for experimentation? Um, yeah, I, I, know I think the key of, is, I know just, just get the afford. I would suggest more affording a better price for an experimented piece to the client yes. and let them know, Hey, yes, I've never that's before, exactly love to try. Yes. I do yes. that all the time. <laughs> like, exactly. I, I think that's the most important thing. And, and you know, like I said, it's, it's a great 
question. I think when you think about it from a business, though, it's the, the answer becomes pretty obvious if you're trying to grow a business and run a business financially to make a profit is that is just what you said. But the most important thing, which we keep hitting and stressing, is your relationship with the client. And then mm-hmm. that all has to be up front. If you do put something together, um, and, and I think, you know, some people said, oh, well, like a, a rendering, like I would never suggest drawing a 3D model, um, you know, rendering it so it actually looks semi-passable for real and then like putting it on Etsy and then trying to sell it without talking to somebody, you know, and, and have somebody um, pay for it. Absolutely like not. That, it is a conversation starter and it's a marketing piece for you. And that as you put that together with the customer um, that you're telling them, no, I've never actually made something just like that, but that sounds like a great idea. I know exactly how I can make it or I've got a pretty good idea or, you know, I don't know, I'm going to have to work on this. So, you know, like, like you just said, you're gonna have to bear with me. I'll tell you what, like, I'm going to give you a little bit of a discount on this because I'm not sure if I can exactly pull it off. Um, you know, there might be some loose joints because I've never done dovetails before. Um, but it's going to, you know, it's going to be a solid piece and I'm going to put the extra time into it, whatever. Uh, so I just thought that was an interesting conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great perspective and, and love, love the, um, you know, love the idea of just like the concern that you're overselling yourself like that, you know, that that is not something if you don't feel comfortable that you can make something like you probably shouldn't be doing it. Right. Or you should be you shouldn't be selling it. Let me put it that way. You should be figuring out, yeah. you know, how can I work that technique into something else uh, and and work on it or something that's a hidden feature like for dovetails. That'd be a perfect like maybe you try dovetails on the back of a drawer or something. Right. Or some somewhere where they're not going to be seen. You can practice that while still making forward progress on another piece. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to solve that. But um, I thought it, I just thought it was a great question because it you know, I was like, oh, well, I don't know. I never thought about that. But um, I mean, I think we stand in the same camp, but there's definitely some folks that might be, uh, you know, not comfortable to do that. So, you know, and if you're not, then don't do it and just sell what you've already made. And that's that's fine. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I mean, one thing I will say is hard that to extend your product line that way. Yeah. But and also confidence will come over time as you continue to build more. Um We've been preaching for weeks now on pushing your quality of product and your and your that goes along with design and your technique in the actual creation. So don't be afraid to, you know, instead of using a standard method of joinery that may be a little easier that you've been using for a long period of time, pushing that to the next step, but then also including some, you know, different moldings or uh, whatever it might be that you feel is that next little addition that you've been hesitant to do for a while. Um, and, and, and <clears throat> don't, you know, don't be afraid of it solely because you've never done it. It's, it's kind of weird for me because I don't look at the, that's a very negative way in looking at it. And from my eyes is I would rather take an opportunity um, from a moment like that in order to create something new and create something better um, instead of looking at it and go, oh, I never did it before. It's how could I do this in the future? And, and that's just my mindset, um, probably because I'm a uh, former athlete who looks at everything as how can I conquer this situation instead of how it beat me in the past. Um, so yeah, not to beat a dead horse, um, but you know that's my thoughts on it. Um, and if you have any more questions or stuff, or would love to ask any more in-depth stuff, feel free to shoot us an email. You know, Brad and I are constantly perusing through all of our emails and stuff to answer our questions quite quite close yeah. to that. And, and I've hopped on even a couple phone calls um, with with builders and stuff, and, and and that's been a very interesting learning experience. Um, so yeah, before so- we get too far along, I wanted to go back and touch on 
the other aspect of design service where I didn't even get to, um, which is full design service and scope of work and how I handle that. Um, and, and I've touched on it before and told you guys I built an entire restaurant. So the way I approach an individual project, which I just uh, gave you the insight, which was uh, a long process that I learned from my business coach. The next step is going to be the full scope, all out design, <laughs> design service and build out. Um, and it's closer to being a general contractor, which I'm not. Um, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not advocating for my, uh, I guess, for what I've done to be adopted by general contractors because I don't know if it would work there. But what what's worked for me in the past is if I have a client looking for multiple items to be done on a schedule and that are including services that are outside of custom furniture, say, design my bar, I'd like you to choose the colorings, the lighting, the backsplash, whatever that stuff might be. I'm not going to be, I'm not hammering your tile together. So, you know, to get paid for that type of stuff is a little bit different. And that goes back to design contracts. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do this, but for me, I'll typically work on a retainer for a designated time period for hours based on a month. So if I know it's going to be a six month project from start to finish, I will negotiate with the client a fair price based on a number of hours, say I typically do like a 10 hour minimum per month at a rate that I feel is appropriate for my services. And in that will be the deliverables of, you know, whatever, um, might be included in that. So for instance, on the restaurant, it was all 3d models and renderings of everything from the coloring all the way to the custom built items that I would be sourcing or building myself. Um, and you know, that takes a ton of time. If you're designing <laughs> each individual piece custom, obviously right. you want to get paid for that. So I negotiated that based on a retainer rate that was a minimum number of hours per month. And that also included, which a lot of people forget meeting time with the client. Right. So you travel. Yeah. All Means they're gonna take you out of the shop. And yeah, if you don't, if you don't factor in for that, you're you're going to be in for a surprise at the end, right? Yeah. And and what happens a lot is you get in conversations with your client where everyone gets fired up and we're all sitting there spitballing ideas and having a good old time and three and a half hours go by and you got actually Nothing. two and a half hours less work done than you could have <laughs> if that was on a phone call. Um, so by having your hours set for the month at a rate and then added on to that client is going to look at the time they spend with you as something that is not as that is much more valuable because they can't just have you in there and going, oh, I went to Home Depot and got this light and these 36 different color swatches. And what do you think? They're going to come to you with their three favorites because they know that hours costing them 50, 100 bucks or whatever it might be. So thinking about it that way, um, when you get into those situations, if a client's asking you to design their whole basement and not just their custom bar, think about how much time it's going to go into that because that is a uh, it's it's a way a lot of people aren't making money when they could be. Um, the next part that goes into that is sourcing materials. That also takes a ton of time, especially if you're coming up with a proposal for the client. So, for instance, I'm not just bringing to my clients attention one light that I think works in a space, especially if for whatever it might be a sconce, overhead lighting, lamps, whatever, you know, they're getting four or five, um, 
different options there. And then I have to break down the pricing on my own end to know what it's going to cost the client and then also know what the shipping turnover time is. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. So that's built into the retainer. And that's also something that you need to make sure that you're factoring your time into because that is how you get paid for design service. (sighs) Lastly, is going to go back to markup. Previous to purchasing anything, let your client know that all, you know, for, for, for my sake, I'll charge X, X rate markup on all sourced items because I have relationships with my distributors that I know I'm still giving them a 20, 30% discount. Um, and I'm making uh, money on the sourced items as well as now for me, it was a selling tip, but I afforded no markup on custom work because I bid myself to do the custom work. But <laughs> that's just something that's for- <laughs> that was something that was fortunate because I can do the custom work when a lot of designers, you know, that that's not something that's in their scope. So when it comes to design time, it's really something you need to sit down and think about. It's how do you want to designate your time for design? You know, what do you want to be doing? Do you, what don't you want to be doing? What do you want to put on the client? What don't you want to put on the client? All those things go into it. And then I'll make sure you're just thinking about how you get paid. A lot of us can lose money and get into those situations where you go from making a custom piece to designing an entire kitchen. <laughs> and then you're out all kinds of money because you're running back to Home Depot, you know, and, and, and you're pull you're picking knobs for seven hours that you didn't know you were going to have to do. Right. Right. So when, when you have, uh, this is an interesting part. We haven't really talked a whole lot about you and I personally. Um, do you find it more profitable, uh, to do, you know, I I guess I'm just thinking of the, the difference as, as I'm thinking of a listener here and they're going like, Oh, nobody's ever asked me to design anything for them like a, a, a room, but is that something people should, you know, be thinking about and be like, oh, you need a coffee table? Well, what about, uh, you know, throwing in this or some lights? Or do you think that the profit is there? Is it something that you add as an extra service to keep clients happy? Or is it something that you feel is, um, is at the same level or higher than your furniture builds from, uh, you know, profitability and good use of your time? Uh, it depends on the project. So if I'm doing a high-end custom item for the client, say a kitchen or custom bar, those are two great examples, that's when I will try to upsell and afford the client an opportunity to do the full design because those are such huge items for that space. Coffee right. table, dining table. You know, dining tables, um close. I always afford my client an opportunity to purchase um, chairs or seating through my associate accounts, um, just because, you know, I love bringing my client as much value as possible. Um, but along the same lines, it's very hard to design a living room around a coffee table. Even if it's the most killer coffee table there is, there's going to be a lot more going on in that room when it comes to the kitchen cabinetry, you know, that's the main thing in the kitchen. So helping them, you know, source everything from your backsplash to the granite or whatever your solid surfaces are, your lighting, your pools, um, all that stuff. You know, you obviously you can see that that is a bigger scope of work and that that room is basically 80 percent designed by your cabinetry. If you are efficient with your time, you have the relationships already and you have something in mind in your head and you think that it's going to be a win win situation for you and the client. That's when I would go ahead and ask, you know, would you like me to choose some lighting options for you? And, you know, I, I have some uh, relationships that could uh that I could get you some pretty good pricing on. Um, I wouldn't just walk in and say, Hey, I'm an interior designer. Um, let me make your 
wildest dreams come true because you know I, yeah I'm, i know for instance a lot of very skilled designers and i'm not good at the finishing touches of a, of a project i'll just say it in all humility but i'm not good at picking out your throws and your and your and your rugs and and all of the you know your your accent pieces that are going into a room um but from a general general space and spatial i guess build um i do a pretty decent job there so i always try to afford my client, you know, a better experience or more value by doing that stuff for them. Yeah. And, and I really and like re- the idea of that because the, I think the other way and the way that people could play it out, um, because I, I, I don't know, I mean, from my perspective, like I'm not great at design, so I wouldn't be good at that as far as like total, you know, compilation of room. But I love the example of like, if you just make kitchen tables or if you make tables, you don't do chairs of having somebody, that you know, whether that's, um, you know, going two ways. So whether that's going to the supplier, like you talked about, and I don't know, John, maybe we can leave a link or something, or I, I don't know enough if there's, if they, is that all mostly local or are there are some national providers that we could turn folks on to, to check out um, here. Hmm. I work with all national providers, go to your favorite resale store that your wife's making you go buy candle fixtures from scroll to the bottom of the website it'll have a trade discount or a trade program something with the word trade um and then you can see whatever they're whatever they need to to apply to it so for instance i mean i work with west elm arhas restoration hardware pottery barn and a bunch of clients like that that um and and they're out there for designers um like us now granted i had to go through the process of being considered a designer and and to get you know those uh accreditations in order to do it. Uh, but because of that, uh, I, I'm able to provide that value to my client. So I'm not just saying you can do it with anybody. Um, it depends on whatever you're, you're creating, but there's, you know, that's another opportunity for you as a maker or builder, whatever you're doing to go build a relationship with a yeah. designer where you can both win a lot. There's local interior designers all over the place. Um, men and women doing incredible jobs. If there's someone in the area and you're saying, hey, I have a client, they're looking for some chairs, you know, throw them a bone. That's when they're going to turn around and throw you one. And that's actually how I got started in that as I was working with an interior designer when I built a float studio. Um, and she did all of the finishing and I did all of the the grand scheme kind of stuff. And it worked out really well. And uh, we built that relationship and continued. And uh, we worked together on a bunch of projects now. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that kind of nugget that just kind of came out of the conversation that was uh, definitely unscripted, yeah. but I think it's a great way that you can use the pricing model uh, to help drive value because that's yeah. the other thing is that if you're going to hit a price, if you have these other connections, uh, it's all about value add because like we mentioned, it's it's about differentiation and it's yes. what you can do for the customer. So if you come in and say, I can build you that dining room table, no problem. It's going to look exactly like you want it and it's going to be 2000 bucks and that's it, then that's great. And then, you know, your competition who comes in and says, I can build you that coffee table. It's going to be two or that dining table. It's going to be 2000 bucks. Oh, by the way, I I know a guy that does uh, chairs and I know a gal that does, you know, whatever fixtures. And and you start adding these things in there, then they're going to pay the same price, but you're adding all this extra value. You're making it easier for the customer and they're going to want to work with you. So mm-hmm. think about that, whether that's, um, you know, working with your local providers, working with national providers, 
Um, but definitely have in mind how can you better serve your customers because uh, that is another way to different, di- differentiate and earn more business without having to lower your price. Um, give them the value add, give them, make their lives easier. Like we, we keep hitting on it. It's all about solving problems. And if they go, oh my gosh, like you can call that guy and I don't have to go. Yeah, I can call him. No problem. Right. That's a, that is a great value add. Yeah, absolutely. And and when I saw the design question come in, I was like, oh, because that's a whole nother monster. I mean, I'm not trying to take away anything from professional designers out there because man, is that an incredible space. A lot of those guys and girls are doing all of the modeling, all of the rendering, all of the coloring, all of the purchasing, all of the delivery logistics. And there's just a lot that goes into it. So don't jump in too far too early. Is what, well, it's what right. I'll say. But, <laughs> but get your, like, like I said, I built my understanding of that industry with a designer and, and we've worked together in the past and continue to work together. Um, there's instances for, like I, like, like we just touched on, you know, you're building dining tables where they got to buy chairs for it. If you can afford them that value add because of a relationship you have, you're going to be more favorable in their eyes. So uh, when it comes to <laughs> design concepts, client relationships, design variations, design changes, all of that stuff, keep in mind that you should have a designated process for design that is comparable to your product pricing strategy, but not the same. I, until you are very comfortable with the amount of time it takes you for custom design work, would not lump it into the cost of your products until you have that hard set number that you know beforehand. Hey, it's going to take me an hour to do this drawing and three renderings or three renditions. Excuse me. Um, That's a big, big takeaway I want you guys and girls to get from this episode because it's very easy to sit there and get super creative on SketchUp and then three and a half, five hours, 12 hours, your weekend later, you know, you have, yep. you have the, the Mona Lisa of kitchens designed for a client. <laughs> <laughs> Little do you know, all they wanted was one base cabinet. So, yes. <laughs> you know, there's, I've run into it's that. What they wanted a pull out. They wanted a pull out cabinet. Yeah. They're like, oh no, I saw this dude fix this build that made one on YouTube. I just, by the time it took you, I went ahead and made my own. And so, yeah. And then their whole kitchen's flip top too after that. So it's incredible. <laughs> dude. <laughs> so flip top kitchen. The blender. Yeah. The blender on one side and, uh, the toaster on the other yeah i'm in the garage in the appliance garage yeah dude i'm gonna edit that i'm editing that part out and then you gotta leave the nuggets gotta leave the nuggets for the major profit (laughs) (laughs) i love it man i think this has been um an awesome conversation we kind of just wanted this one to to float a little bit and answer some of those questions like we mentioned but definitely hit back on some of those main theories um but I really love how this one went. So, so what from John, this being our third episode in the part, um, and I know the takeaways, obviously you'll tell them about that as far as the total package and our playbook. Um, but why don't you just kind of run through and, and put a bow on this pricing series for everybody? Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to what we've said in both of the first two episodes, there is no cookie cutter formula. There's no one and done kind of, mindset or thought process to pricing. It is a constantly evolving, changing, adapting, adjusting, moving monster. Adjective driven. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of adjectives. (laughs) And because of that, you just be cognizant and be aware that you're never going to get set in the way things are in one way. 
pricing and what you're buying is always changing. Your labor costs is always changing. Taxes, all kinds of things are moving. And, and so keep your thumb on it and, and have a firm grasp for where you want to be and then work towards that. Um, and, and that for our pricing strategy is a huge, I guess, the biggest takeaway, you know, in my eyes. Um, on top of it, we've talked about a lot of little nuggets and these will all be in the playbook, but looking at your quality versus your price matrix, you know, that was a huge addition to my process when I was trying to hit the market where I wanted to and price my products the way I wanted to, understanding why they're priced a certain way and where they're at, understanding the market as well. Um, we touched on that the last two episodes before this. And and those are huge ads for anyone trying to get better at selling. Um, Realizing markup and margin are integral parts of your daily life now. (laughs) And that having a good understanding of what they are and not necessarily where you want to be, but knowing that you have a goal and a target and you want to get there. um, Huge, huge value adds to your pricing strategy in order to operate a business properly and not just get burned on your labor costs to pay for stuff. Um, You know, there's there's so much more that we could go into, and I'm sure we're going to revisit this down the line. But from a basic standpoint, you know, I really think we hit a lot of good stuff here. And for all of you that want more information, make sure you're signing up for our email list because we are going to be hammering, hammering home some more quality um, downloadable content for for all of you, and that is going to be in our pricing playbook. Um, if you haven't seen our pricing, excuse me, our Instagram playbook, it'll be very similar but much more detail oriented. We're going to have a couple graphics on there, and you know, Brad and I are really working hard on getting you guys the most valuable piece of physical content that we possibly can here because this is something that we've been. <laughs> that's why it took us so long to get to it. Oh, we've yeah. been a lot of questions, and we want to hammer hammer a home run with it. Yeah, absolutely. So for the for the homework for this episode, it's going to be real easy. It's going to be head over to madeforprofit.com or go into the, the show notes for the episode. Sign up for our email list and you will be able to get both of those playbooks, the Instagram playbook as well as the pricing playbook. Uh, and then any new ones as they come out, you will be on the email list for those. We will get those to you. Uh, we are not spamming you. We're just sending through the episodes. Um, getting that because we want to make sure that we're giving you valuable content, like John said. And down the road, we want to have more things, right? So we definitely want to uh, br- continue to bring you guys value. And the major part of that right now is the playbooks. And again, we're working on um, stuff for down the road. Uh, but anyway... What we're going to be doing today, talking about value add, uh, we are going to be going into our patron show. So our patron after show uh, talked about that at the top of the show. We have a a great question. Uh, We alluded to it a little bit through the episode about pricing as a hobbyist and, uh, you know, the ins and the outs of that. And okay, well, what if I'm not a business? How how do I price and how does that look and what should I think about? And and how do I interact with people that are running a business? Um, So some really good stuff. Uh, And so just if you're not familiar, the patron show uh, after show, we've talked about that a lot, but we haven't really said the detail. Um, It's about 20 minutes. And John and I go over, um, you know, one to two to three questions, possibly. But we really dive deep. We debate. We go back and forth, uh, take the input from the patrons from uh, that are over there on our patron site, and we just really go super deep on singular questions. So it's a great way to, to ask your questions, and those are coming, again, directly from the folks in our MFP tribe over there, patreon.com forward slash made for profit. 
Uh, if you've got some questions that you really want burning answers for, please go over there, check it out. And uh, we would love to answer your questions. Yeah. Don't forget that we do Instagram feed and buy reviews for our higher tier patrons, which we um, will be revisiting. Uh, just actually we'll be uh, dropping those. We do them on a monthly basis based on you know Patreon cycle and how that works. And um, we're actually revisiting our top patrons accounts and uh, doing that monthly. So that's a good value add. You know, Brad and I are, we want all of us winning and that's something that Brad and I have a lot of knowledge in. So we're always excited to go back and see how our patrons are doing, um, how they're, you know, putting to work the information that we're giving them. Um, and then we're giving them some awesome feedback. Last month was a blast. It was, it's a lot of oh, fun yeah. to see, you know, people implementing what you're talking about, and what you're doing. We're getting a ton of great feedback across the board from all of our listeners but the patrons are really supporting us really, really well. And, and we're glad yeah. to be able to do that for them, too. Absolutely. And, and thank you to all of our patrons out there. We are really having a great time. We're looking forward to we're getting close to our, our first goal. We're going to have a big hangout, too. So, uh, oh, yeah. That. Party awesome. on the hangout. <laughs> all right, John, <laughs> let's get over there and blast this after show. Let's crush it, dude. So thank you guys for checking out the show. If you'd like any more information, you can head over to madeforprofit.com. We'll have our show notes as well as our email list subscription you can sign up for. There you'll receive tips of the week as well as all of our other actionable content. If you're digging the show, we'd love to get a five-star review over on iTunes and we would greatly appreciate that. If you have any other questions or suggestions, you can email us at madeforprofitpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love any of your input as well as any of your future show topic suggestions. You can hit us up on Instagram at madeforprofit where we will be answering your questions and giving out tips to help you grow on your own social networks. So once again, we really want to thank you guys for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode.